Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 23 of the Speaking Club podcast. And today, it's all about influence. I'm not easily influenced myself. I was hypnotised on stage once, but nothing happened. Although everyone else had a ball. Woof, woof! I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking. And because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello! Yes, this week's guest is Mr. Warren Cass, a speaker, entrepreneur and author of a new book on influence that is getting rave reviews. Now, he shares some fantastic insights on networking, marketing and generally upping your level of influence to help grow your speaking career or business. I need to let you know that in places in this episode, um, the audio isn't really up to the usual standards of the speaking club. I've done our best to clean it up but there's still a bit of an echo that's technology for you but stick around because at the end Warren shares a fantastic framework that will really help you build your influence and also some fantastic tips uh, he shares about speaking and all sorts of other things so do persevere with it and uh, well let's start off now and today my guest is Warren Cass author of the book, Influence, Speaker and Entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Warren. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So first thing I wanted to talk about was your journey, because I know that you started out in business very young, but could you give us a sort of an idea of how you started out and how, um, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, so like most people who've, who've ended up doing something for themselves, uh, there's a couple of different variations you normally hear to people's stories some which have been an employee for god knows how many years of their life and suddenly realize actually i can do this for myself and make more of my money and uh, you know i'm pretty good at what i do and they might go and start a business and often that the biggest challenge for them is learning all the processes around doing the thing they're good at uh, there's another set of people that um realize from a very young age they're unemployable i fall into that category uh, from a kind of young age, I was um, organising parties, uh, raves uh, at college, and uh, that had a natural evolution, which took me to a nightclub as a nightclub manager at the age of seventeen, uh, which uh, which lasted for less than a year before they fired me for being a cocky little shit. And that was a great lesson, actually. I had 120 staff at 17 years old, and I hadn't really learnt the importance of how well you treat people and you know how that how that impacts and reflects on that I learned the lesson quite young um, and I ended up uh, taking a job uh, it was the birth of computers really being used in organizations and I went to a major bank where in in this great big floor of people there was a computer on every desk an 086 computer on every desk and nobody had a scooby-doo how to use them and i uh, done enough at school to you know get by with word processing and spreadsheets but uh, I, I went in and I started helping people set up uh, and, and systematize some of the things that they were doing on their desks which made the organization think hold on here there's some benefit to giving this guy some more training uh, the training 
first of all started out in you know one day courses here and there but um eventually it was the it was the diploma um and and from there really i launched a business excellent um, so i started working as a technology business and for the whole of my 20s uh, it was a technology business i grew brilliant and then where did you go from there so uh, come 2003, and, and that business was, was sold, I very naively thought I had enough to retire, very quickly realized I didn't, um, and actually wouldn't want to anyway, and I think that's the more important thing. And uh, well, I often joke it was the first of many midlife crises, because, uh, because you actually you, you sit and think, what is it I really want to do? And the, the thing that was kept coming to my head was where I was most happy. I was most happy bringing people together, which was the, the event side of it. So the business that I, I started in uh, 2003, 2004 was an event management company. And uh, from there, it kind of blossomed in all sorts of different directions. And, and you know, every innovation in business is normally some sort of pivot or variation on the, the skills and the experience you've acquired up until that moment. And certainly that's no different to where I am right this second. Um, you know, the business we run today is certainly a pivot and an evolution of all of the experience, contacts, uh, ideas that we've ever had. Um, in fact, I, I've met a lot of businesses in my time. I've run over a thousand networking events over the last decade or so. I've, I don't think I've ever met a business that, um, you know, 10 years down the line is doing what it originally set out to do. And, and I don't think that's ever been more true than the, the age that we live in now, where change is a constant, it's particularly when you're looking at things like technology, social media, etc. The world is evolving at such an incredible pace that uh, we have to adapt and our businesses have to adapt. I think you're right. I mean, you have to be agile in today's world. And, you know, it's, it is all about in serving a niche and, and and finding your customer and if you you know you've got to but you've got to stay ahead of the curve i think you know that's that's really important so so was this so the networking events tell me a bit more about what you did there so as, as a i mean the start was fairly simply explained we were an event management company and we figured uh, you know it was the it was the kind of birth of networking in the uk i mean without um, during the technicalities, of course, Chambers of Commerce and B&I and, and brands like that have been around for a little while. But um, an early online brand was a brand called Academy, uh, which was founded by Thomas and Penny Power and Glenn Watkins. And Academy was an astonishing place, actually. In fact, I don't think it's ever been recreated. The, the kind of um, supportive nature of that, that platform, it was pre-Facebook, pre-LinkedIn, and uh, it was just an incredible environment for meeting new people and, and building good connections and collaborative working um, relationships. And we saw that and we saw an opportunity to maybe run a few events. So we started uh, showcasing ourselves by bringing local business people together. The very first event we did in Swindon uh, had 100 businesses turn. And suddenly, wow. Oh, wow, okay, we're the people at the front here. There's a, there's a credibility that's coming from just putting ourselves out, out there. And, uh, and that evolved. We eventually started doing events all across the UK and bringing, bringing people together, offering a membership proposition. And that was all born out of the event management. Wow. And so where did speaking come into the picture for you? I mean, obviously, I suppose at those events you were speaking all the time. Well, yeah, so interesting. Um, coming back to the previous IT career, um, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who's uh, relatively confident and uh, quite happy to stand up, I found myself. Um, hosting a couple of IT-related events. 
that was that was the first thing, and I got a real buzz out of that, mainly because it was completely out of my comfort zone. And when I uh, when the business started, the, the event management related business started, and I'd started this networking. Um, a dear friend of mine, Ben Hortop in Bristol, asked me to come and speak at his uh, his one of his events. And I said, what, what do you want me to talk about? And he said, well, I, I, having spoken with you, I'd be really interested in a newcomer's uh, interpretation of what networking is. So I walked into a room full of experienced networkers, uh, and of course I had to acknowledge that, and delivered a presentation which was a newcomer's perspective. This is, this is what I've uh, uh, learned so far and and that was a kind of a humble way of doing it uh, anyway but what was interesting was I was approached by two or three people in the room and they said could you come and deliver a similar talk to my audience before you knew it I found myself uh, talking at various events and of course there's a long journey between uh, the happy amateur who goes out just adding value to an event and showcasing themselves to a professional speaker who gets paid to uh, to add value on stage. But the one thing I, I was absolutely for sure of is that I really enjoyed doing it. And the interesting thing I think that comes from, um, from most speakers that I know, I, I haven't met a good speaker yet that doesn't have an ego. So it's an essential thing that a speaker needs. But I think more important than the ego is the desire to add value and to inspire change. And that needs to be bigger than the ego. And when that happens, actually, you have uh, you have the makings of a good speaker. In my humble. That's brilliant. So, so how where does it factor into your business today? Are you, I, I get the impression from everything I've seen and read about you that you you now. I mean, obviously, there's the book, and I want to come on to the book. But would you consider yourself, you know, primarily a speaker now? I think. Uh, Mine is one of a delicate balance. Um, so the business is growing and we have incredible clients and we have uh, a very busy road ahead. Um, uh, so we're in very much in the space of um, customer rewards. The business itself is quite congruent with what I speak about and what I believe in. It's about engagement. We live in an age now where it's not about B2B. It's not about B2C. It's about page to H, human to human. As a speaker, uh, the speaking aspect is growing year on year. Uh, in fact, it's been the most incredible start to to any year that I can remember uh, this year. Uh, and I'm sure that's in part helped by the book, but um, but certainly it's it's where my passion really, really is. Excellent. Okay, cool. So the book is called Influence, and you I know you were speaking on influence before you wrote the book. Um, this particular show in this month is around, you know, how you can increase your profile, how you can build your influence and get more speaking gigs primarily along, you know, but also applies to business as well. So, so why is the subject of influence so important to you? What makes you an expert? And have you got any stories to illustrate why it's so important? Uh, I'm always nervous of the, uh, of the word expert when you use it yourself. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think it's important for uh, anybody who's who's looking to put their head above the parapet and uh, raise their profile and use speaking as a big uh, to to think very carefully about the steps around influence. Now, um, when I started speaking on the topic, it was very much to serve the audience of people attending networking. So I was very much focused on uh, networking, the psychology of the room, the etiquette. 
and what it means to uh, identify the appropriate people in the room, but also those that are already quite influential. Um, and of course, the, 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 the book is broader than that. But the thing is, I think that most business books can be summarized on a page of April. The kind of key lesson can be summarized quite briefly. What makes a book individual and what makes a book unique to the author is the anecdotes and stories they share, which contextualize the, the content. And so it's easily easy to be understood. Um, now, if you think about the main kind of books that were written on the subject of influence, the, probably the most famous and the best sold is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, which was written in the 1930s. And then uh, beyond that, you've got things like uh, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion by Cialdini, which again, another modern day classic, but it was written in the 80s. Since then, we've had a digital revolution. You know, the whole world has changed. And whilst the principles discussed in both books haven't really fundamentally changed, we are still very different. The world has become more complex. And so influence broken down is, is effectively about affecting an outcome but it's about communication primarily. Uh, and if the world has become more complex in terms of uh, people's experiences, either context, then, uh, then that's something we need to be aware of in order to be effective influencers. Uh, then on top of that, you've got the complexity of things like psychometrics, uh, natural communication styles, communication preferences, how we like to receive them. There's another added complexity. And you've got uh, cultural diversity um, because we're becoming a bit of a melting pot. Now we've got another dimension to add. Uh, and so really my fascination is about uh, not at all presuming, presuming to, to think that one size fits all, but more importantly understanding that it's not about you. It's about who you're talking to. And the better understanding you have of that person, whether it is communication styles or, or context, their context, um, if you really want to be effective at an influencer, communicate, take the time to really ask questions and understand people. Um, and then, of course, you know, the subject grows when you start translating it to websites, marketing materials, blogs, and everything else. There's a lot, lot there. Um, I had a look at uh, some of the stuff written about the book, and, and one of the comments about it was that there was a very much a view that old style selling is dead in, you know, in today's world. Is, have you got a view on that? Is that something you subscribe to? Yeah, I, I firmly believe it's true, actually. Um, you know, if you think about selling in the last century, um, you know, the, the, the jamming foot in the... In fact, if you picture in your head, or anybody listening to this right now, pictures in their head, what they would think was a stereotypical salesperson of the last century. They're probably looking at a shiny suit, shoulder pads, and shoving doors in, uh, feet into doorways so people can't shut doors. There's a persistence there. It's a bit cheesy, corny, impersonal. Uh, I think 21st century selling is consultative. I think it's about uh, integrity. It's about finding solutions. It's, it's about rapport and relationship and trust. And when, when I say integrity, I mean, it's also having the integrity to walk away if you're not the perfect solution. Uh, and uh, and I think that's I think that's the world we live in. I think that's what people appreciate. Um, and that's a much easier skill set. I quite often say, you know, you've always got the uh, the hunting and the farming. I, you know, I quite often say to clients, send your farmers hunting. That's that's really interesting. And um, things have changed enormously. 
you know, I'm going to talk to you about social proof because I know that that's something that you feel is very important. I'm interested in t- in your take about you know how speakers should use social proof and and maximize that, and also you know also looking at business. There is a concern with social proof that sometimes you know we've just had the big thing with Twitter and buying Twitter followers, and you know, and, there, and there's a number of stories about people taking you know hiring mansions or hiring sports cars and then doing a sales video it's in some ways it's harder to know uh sometimes we're being manipulated i think you know and so i'd be interested in your you know what do you think social proof is and how should we use it but also be perhaps um careful around you know being taken in by something which which aren't real so let's start with the social proof aspect we live in an age of due diligence. You know, we can find anything out about anybody at any time. Google is our friend. You know, there is a ton of information. And people do their due diligence. I've, I have people now phone me, and by the time they finish their introduction, I found their LinkedIn profile and, you know, found a little bit about them. Um, I think that means we're all much better at school. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, uh, it's really important now to, to know that uh, you're going to be checked out. And therefore, um, you should really be thinking about making, having the best shop you possibly can. And uh, testimonial is a, is a social proof is a, is a big part of that. So, I mean, if you think about what you do if you're looking, if looking for a restaurant in an area, first call is probably true for the same is true for a hotel. You're looking for a tradesman to come and do work on your house, you're looking for one of the great tradesmen type websites. Um, so we, we do that that level of due diligence um, but pretty much every area of our life. Now, if we all get, if I'm an event organizer and I'm employed, so therefore I'm working on behalf of the corporate I work for, uh, it reflects directly on me if that speaker is inappropriate, um, not not well matched, um, and you know maybe my neck is on the block. Who knows? Um, if I'm a third party event organizing uh, organization. And I put somebody forward, and that person's inappropriate. Chances are, I'm not going to work with that client. So it's important to find the right speaker. So from from uh, your own point of view, and I must just I must say I'm saying these words not fully um, uh, fully happy with my own showreel, for example, uh, because we're as good as the material that we've got uh, of us on stage, which doesn't always belong to us. Um, so it's important to have a really good showreel. That's that's proof that you can stand up in front of an audience and show off. But that should also include really good testimonials from the types of clients you want. That should also then be translated through to your LinkedIn profile and you know used on your website, etc. We also have uh, at the moment a whole load of sites like Clout. They've been around for many many years. I actually don't like the fact these sites exist um, because I think they're more of a measure of activity than they are of actual um, influence uh, but they do exist and, and we have to play the game if, if we want to get booked but rest assured there are people making hiring hiring decisions right now based on people's cloud scores and, and how they portray themselves through their social profiles. Authenticity is a different thing so the whole hiring of mansions, hiring of houses and you know putting on this this uh, false persona. I think we see through it. I think more and more uh, we are now looking at these things with a, a critical lens. 
um, and, and deciding that it's it's not true or it's not or it's fake. And you know the, the whole long sales form page. I think more and more people now are getting really quite tired of this. They're spotting the HTML of a of a, a sales um, email and deleting it from their phone before it's even being read. I think that's the trend. And I think authenticity really, really counts. I remember being in Bristol at uh, one of the uh, pre-election debates, uh, political debates in the UK. And Gordon Brown uh, was preparing himself. And it was about 15 minutes before the cameras came on. And he stood at the front of the stage at the left and he practiced his smile 15 minutes. And it's a really unnatural smile, but he was practicing his smile. And I remember thinking, oh my God, the colors advising you to do this. <laughs> Most people that I would speak to, if I, were to, if, if I was Gordon Brown and I was to come on camera and say, look, I'm a really serious guy. This is a really serious job. You want me kissing babies and that's your measure of success in this particular role. You know, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. But I'm a serious guy, this is a serious job. Actually, what I want to do is run a robust economy, country, etc. How many people would actually respect him for having the honesty, just acknowledge, this is who I am and this is what I do? Instead, he tried to play the political. He was advised to put on the false marks, etc. And, and for most people, that inauthenticity was a turn off. And, uh, and I think that's true in business now. And I think actually people want to deal with real people. They want authentic I think you're right. I think basically play to your strengths, acknowledge, you know, those things that make you unique. Like you said, if Gordon have done that, I mean, it's, it is hard because we do often elect people on their gravitas and their charisma and, and all that good stuff, which isn't helpful if you haven't got much of it. But, but acknowledging that makes you stand out, I think. A hundred percent. And actually translate that into what it would mean as a speaker on a stage. So I've, I've seen a number of speakers who've come in with, their whole kind of borderline arrogant swagger on stage and they have massively turned audiences off. Even if their story is amazing, if that's the persona, they've turned an audience off. So I'm a great fan of being, being able to be vulnerable on stage. I'm a great fan of a bit of self-deprecation. I think it uh, relaxes an audience and I think it goes a long way. Brilliant. And I want to come onto your speaking and delve a bit more into that. But I just want to stay with the networking just for a moment because it is such a critical part of business life today. And, you know, your pitch and all of that good stuff is is also public speaking. Even if you're not a speaker, being a being able to deliver your pitch and 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 also network effectively is a massive part of being successful today, I think. Um, do you think who you know is more important than how good you are? Uh, so I think it's important to be good at to be good at what you do and to be able to uh, stand up and be counted. But you can be good at what you do, not know anybody, and still make new relationships and win business. Um, I think if you if you know a lot of people, the winning of business uh, becomes easier, particularly if you're good at what you're doing. Very easy. So, but I I don't think they're mutually exclusive. They're both important things to develop. You know, you do see a lot of people who are fantastic, but they haven't got the network to get, you know, their message out into the world. It's a, a synergy of both, I think. Well, that, that's true. But if you look at how people network, uh, and this is fairly consistent across all industries. Um, so at the start of any journey, any entrepreneurial journey, you're going to need to meet a lot of people in order to find the 
individuals that are going to be in collaboration, joint venture, referrals, etc. But it's the whole kiss a lot of frogs to find a print. <laughs> the busier you get, the less time you have to go to networking events. The busier you get, uh, typically there's a correlation between busyness and success. At least I would hope so. The busiest people I know, you know, those running very large organisations, don't do networking events. They might go for dinner with other key influencers, but their network has got to, to that stage. Um, so, you know, if you're if, if we're talking speakers, and if you're a speaker at the early part of your journey, then of course finding the places to uh, to, to network online, like speakers call on Facebook group or going to the PSA events regionally across the UK, the UK base. But finding those places to go and make contact, absolutely the right place to go. And then look at things like contacts and some of the big. Uh, Big shows where you might be able to meet event management companies, but uh, as I say, the busier you get, the more demand you are. So, so whilst you need to put the effort in up front, eventually, once you start building that platform, things start to move organically, and you just meet new people naturally, and then the referrals start to happen, and so on. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say there's always an element of effort that needs to be made, of course, but um, that you become a lot more concentrated on the key relationships you've found. Brilliant. And then one more question on networking. They always say the fortune is in the follow-up. Is that true in your experience? Yeah, of course. First of all, not following up and not doing what you said you're going to do. Um, and I trust me, I know this from personal experience. It's great to see you with the wrong type of reputation. Um, but you can go to as many events as you possibly can, have some fantastic conversations with lots of people. If you don't actually take action on the potential there, then what was the point of going in the first place? Um, so, of course, everything is in the pot. And it, networking is a very misunderstood thing, in my opinion. I see a lot of people at the beginning of their journey go to lots of events once, thinking that's building a relationship. What, what they do is they collect a lot of business accounts. There's no depth to the relationship. The real magic from a networking event is when that, when that contact becomes a relationship. Brilliant. And and those relationships, as you said, you can't really know a human being unless you take some time to to find out about their life and you know what motivates them and all that good stuff, just exactly like you said. Brilliant. Okay. So turning to your talks then, could you give me the sort of lowdown on how you prepare for a talk or you know how you create a talk? Yeah, it's kind of kind of an interesting question. And I know this is different for every speaker. Um when you've been speaking for quite some time, you pretty much know the things that you want to say on any one topic. I've never, ever once scripted a talk. It starts with the client, it starts with an audience. I've got a, a, an audience engagement form which asks a ton of questions. Uh, so it all starts with there. But it's actually a very broad subject. So again, it comes down to which particular piece you're going to focus on. I've got um, a series of talks uh, delivered in May to a specific sector. And I've only been given 30 minutes, but there's five of them in the parts of the UK. So in, in 30 minutes, I've got a not only get across the kind of concepts, but then give them some practical tools that they can not only apply, but part of the brief is take back to their organisations and, and help the more junior members of the team. So th- that is a, a bespoke talk based on 10 years of talk. Uh, and, uh, you know, the older I get, the more I'm learning, less is more. It's true. You know, I used to cram as much as I could into a talk thinking that's where the value was. So that's how, that's how I, I typically approach. I'm not somebody who is word heavy 
I like one or two visuals, which inspire story. Storytelling is a really, really powerful way of, of uh, cementing learning. And do you use stories primarily from your own life and experience, or do you occasionally use other people's stories, maybe clients or movies or anything like that? How do you use your stories? Of course, it's not my story and it's uh, another individual. It goes without saying you attribute the story to, to its source. Um, but uh, but no, all of the above. Okay, cool. And I know you do keynote and uh, speaking and emceeing. Which do you prefer? I'll answer it a slightly different way. I think it's much more difficult to be an MC than it is to be a speaker. To be a speaker, it's almost like you turn up and you have you know what you want to say, you prepare your visuals, you deliver your content. And yes, of course, there is a, an element of adapting to an audience, contextualizing an audience, reacting to the physical responses you can see. The thing about an MC is that Anything that can potentially go wrong, you're juggling lots and lots of things. You are mindful of new speakers, how they want to be introduced. You're uh, in your links. You're probably referring to some content you've just heard, and maybe maybe adding a story, or or, or maybe using it as a, as a you know a link through to the next speaker. Uh, you might have Q and A's, you have interviews on stage, whatever. It's just a little bit more complex. And I can tell you uh, from personal experience, I'm far more exhausted when I'm an MC at an event than I am when I'm a speaker. Yeah, that's that's a good summary, that. Yeah. My, my preference is to be both. And um, do you use humour much in your talks? Um, yeah, I think I think everybody should should try and lighten um, lighten the load as much as they can. However, I don't try to be funny, and I think there's a real difference. Um, I've I've seen that. I've seen people try to be comedians who simply weren't, from the celebrity to to the uh, you know the aspiring speaker. If you're not a comedian, and very few of us are, don't try to be funny. But by all means, share amusing anecdotes, tutorial. There's a big difference between the two. Absolutely, yeah. But um, I did. I read some feedback on your book, and it, you know, I think one of the things that comes through about your book is that you have some very funny stories, and and that it keeps people engaged. So just to just to sort of say that. Okay, cool. Now, before we go on to my standard questions, um, have you got any other tips that you think you know are absolute musts for people to know about using influence to uh, build their business or brand um, that we haven't talked about? The principles of influence are, are actually really nice. Um, you know, they, for me, I use an acronym in the book, which is PIC, um, and the P stands for people. So, you know, our relationships, people who are our, our mentors, already influential in their own right, who, you know, potentially give you that kind of help. It really is a... Uh, uh, a way to accelerate trust in other relationships. So the people is one aspect. I is around image. And for me, image is around not only the way we portray ourselves, uh, but uh, that's how we physically dress, but also how we portray ourselves from the ground, website, testimonial, a profile page, the quality of the imagery, how authentic it is. I mean, I've seen people with with images on their website which 30 years ago. So the image is an important part. C is for communication. Um, so that's not only the words we use, but the words we write. And how do we effectively express ourselves in, in a kind of language that's pleasing to the person who's listening? This is where, again, psychometrics comes in. I encourage everybody to be not only a student of themselves, but a student of other people. So that, that's a big part of it, around communication. Then the K is around knowledge. 
So this is about demonstrating expertise. Um, so as a speaker, you'd, you'd assume somebody might do that anyway. If you're a business owner, you're not necessarily standing up and sharing knowledge. Uh, you, the thing is, in the past, most people, certainly within large organisations, held knowledge close to their chest because they thought that's where power was. I actually think uh, the world has changed so much so now. People who are really valuable are those that share and upskill everyone. They're the ones that are really valuable. They're the ones that I would seek out anyway. And then the why is around you, know, it's around you and your personal attributes. And you know, what, if you think about all of the great influences you've ever met, okay, what industry, or, or whether you actually know them or just see them, the great influences have attributes that we can all pick out and mimic and model. And, uh, and the last chapter in the book looks at some of the, the attributes that I valued in other people. But it's a broader subject than just the words you say, you know, the little bit of knowledge that you have. It's a very broad subject. Brilliant. So you've got to take care of the package, not just one element of the package, basically. Brilliant. Thank you for that. That's great. Now, um, standard questions. What is the best thing speaking has ever done for you? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, it, it's certainly won lots of clients. Um, it's certainly attracted people who've gone on to become lifelong friends. Um, it's broadened my own knowledge, which is probably the thing I would, if I, if I had to give you one answer, speaking and writing um, means that you actually have to enjoy research because, uh, again, we live in constant change. It's that constant investment to our skill. So I, I'm going to answer that. However, I, would, I will tell an amusing story um, from the US. I, I once delivered a talk in a place called San, San Ramon, just outside of San Francisco. And there was about 650 people in the audience. And I'd been in uh, California for about three, four weeks. It was my very last day. I was flying back following you. Uh, one of you in the Q&A session, one of the audience asked the question, you know, have you enjoyed your time in the US? And I, re- I really have, really well, really lovely. But I said I have one regret. As a movie buff, I've been trying to get onto Alcatraz for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> and uh, and come, there was a bit of a laugh, a joke, and whatever, we left it there. And, you know, in the US, they really, really want to meet speakers. The queue was an hour long just to, just to have a conversation. But about 30 minutes into that queue, Somebody presented me with a piece of April paper, and they'd gone away and phoned a skipper from one of the boats that goes to Alcatraz, who'd actually then faxed through a um, ticket so I could go there the following morning before my flight. Wow. And I just thought that was a fabulous thing, but it really illustrates the lesson that if you are very specific in what your wants and needs are, people try and help you achieve them. If you're general and vague, and nothing springs to mind. There's no synapses being But the moment you're specific, people try and help you solve those problems. And that was a that was a lovely moment where somebody had thought, if I can help this this person. That's brilliant. And so, you know, from a from a speaker's perspective, if you're speaking for free to showcase your product, service, business, whatever, then the more specific you can be in the type of people you're looking to work with and how you add value to them, you're gonna get better. Brilliant. That's great. And how about your worst gig? Have you got one? I, I can think of a couple of stories. Um, so the first, the first one was I was doing the same tour for a major bank uh, in six different locations. And the night, the day before had been Glasgow. 
and the audience have been phenomenal. Really engaged, you know, a lot of fun, a lot of laughter um, from, from the presentation. The following day, I was at the West Midlands, and it was the same talk delivered in exactly the same way, completely different response. So it's not to say people didn't come up at the end and say, I found that really, really interesting, but I, I'd been lulled into this false sense of security that I was a comedy god. And, uh, and the following day, apparently, I wasn't, uh, you know. So we all have those moments. Um, as I said, the audience still got value. Um, it just wasn't the, the occasion it was the day before. And therein lies a lesson here, um, which is never presume what your audience is thinking. I, I remember once there was a chap in an audience who scowled the whole way through. And, uh, you know, we're quite sensitive creatures, speaking, actually, truth be told. So, you know, my usual thing is I try and talk to them, try and make eye contact with them. I can see this guy scowling throughout the talk. In my head, I'm thinking, oh my God, he really hates what I'm saying. <laughs> and at the end of the talk, he came up to me and he said, with a, still with a scowl on his face, he said, that was probably one of the best talks I think I've ever heard. And, uh, my response inside my head, I was saying, well, you forgot to tell your face. <laughs> but, uh, you know, sometimes people express themselves very differently. You might just not have very good self-awareness, you know. Yeah, I had a, I had a com a comic on the show who said, "Play the audience you've got, not the one that's in your head." <laughs> so that that's a, that reinforces that's a good tip. Good. Okay. Now, last question. There is a book called "Think and Grow Rich" by a chap called Napoleon Hill. It's a very good book, and it has in it he employs a sort of fantasy mastermind group, and he runs things past them. If you could choose anyone three people actually from a history alive or dead fictional or non-fictional actually who would you choose to be your three mentors and why well first of all let me acknowledge what a great book um, it is I was, uh, 17 years old i was in a pub on uh, christmas eve with my best friend and his father who was a very successful businessman and uh, he had suggested at that age that that was the book i should go and read and said i could give you my copy if you're hungry enough, you'll go and buy it yourself, uh, which was the perfect answer. And of course, I had the book in my hand, but boxing. Um, a, a brilliant book. The, the principle is the first time I ever cottoned on to the principle of masterminding. I've never been without a mastermind group since. If you don't have a mastermind, you don't find yourself. Uh, but to answer your question, okay, so uh, non business related, but I thought, I think he was, he died in 2012 was Christopher Hitchens, who is a, uh, one of the best orators um, I think I've ever heard, and um, one of the most articulate people, and um, a ferocious uh, intellect. Uh, so Christopher Hitchens would be one. He was uh, very kind of political uh, in, in his thinking, and he's a superb writer, but non-business writer, but, but Definitely one of my heroes, died in 2012. Um, I would probably add somebody like Steve Jobs, as cliche as that might be for, for other people, but purely because uh, as much as he was a deeply flawed human being, he had a real uh, focus on, on image and design and, uh, and I respect I respect him as well. Um, so I'll choose him. Um, and what's the third? Elon Musk. Okay, cool. And uh, purely because I cannot believe how many different areas this man is pioneering right now. 
achieving uh, with a kind of entrepreneurial mindset. For him, it's not just about money, it's about uh, about doing it right. Brilliant. There's some very, very good choices there. I'll have to look up Christopher Hitchens. I don't know him, but um, I, I will do that. That's brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time. Now, if people want to connect with you, to work with you, to book you as a speaker, where would they go to um, to make those connections? Very kind of you to give me a plug. Um, warrencast.com. And what I'm going to do is I'll put a link in the show notes to warrencast.com. Well, yeah, loads of great tips there. Lots of information. Um, go out and get the book. It's got great reviews. Um, thank you very much, Warren, for your time. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me on. It's been a real pleasure. Well, I loved picky. I could definitely do with being a bit pickier when I'm networking. I hope you enjoyed the show this week. Thank you for sticking with it. Apologies for the audio quality. Um, you should have heard it before we work through the night to get it right for you, or as best as we can. Um, extra thanks, as I say, for sticking through uh, to the end. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a show. There's so many great episodes coming up. I know you won't want to miss it. If you want to help uh, build your speaking career, build your business through speaking, um, just generally there's some fantastic stuff coming up. And yeah, tell other people about the show. If you know any speakers, aspiring speakers or business people that want to, you know, uh, grow their brand or whatever, share about the podcast. Be really grateful. Thank you again and have a smashing week. All that's left for me to say as usual is grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book straight to the top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.